0: Last week, we began a two-part series called The Spiritual Journey, Understanding the Stages of Faith. You know, there's many different metaphors, pictures, images you can look at your life through. One of those is that of a journey with uh, hills and valleys and twists and turns. And when you're on a journey, how many know it helps to have a a map? Unless you're just into random driving anywhere. It helps to have a map and it helps to have a guide, someone to kind of show you some bits of the terrain that you may not have thought about before. And so I'm endeavoring to present a bit of a map to you for the spiritual journey. And this map is not prescriptive. In other words, I'm not up here telling you what must or should happen in your life. It's more descriptive of what often happens for people on their journey. And so last week, quick review for those that may not have been here, we looked at a number of beginning stages. First of all is the first stage called awareness. This is where our spiritual journey begins, where we discover or recognize there is a God. For some people, this happens when they're young, others a little later in life. Some people remember exactly the moment, the place, the time, and where they were, others I'm not sure when. It was kind of back there. In many ways, awareness is like waking up. We can wake up with an alarm clock and you know you were asleep and then you're awake. Or you can just kind of find yourself awake. No one wakes up at the same time or in the same way as other people. We're all unique, but I trust for you here today that you've come to an awareness of God somewhere in your life. And if you haven't as of yet, we're praying that at this Christmas, maybe for the first time, you'll be aware that God is real, that He loves you and is interested in your life. The next stage uh, is something we call growth. This is where we begin to grow to know this God. To become like him to follow him and being part of a church family or community is helpful in this stage uh, spiritual experiences spiritual practice and disciplines can also assist us in our transformation the next slide is the next stage and this is the stage of contribution where we discover our life purpose every one of you have a contribution to make to this world And discovering that and then fulfilling that is a really important part of your faith journey. Uh, We said last week it would be nice if one, two, and three was about it. Just kind of know God, grow, contribute, know God, grow, contribute. Jesus will be back soon. That would be really nice, wouldn't it? But there's actually a lot more to this spiritual journey. And most people somewhere uh, come to a fourth stage that we call the wall. This is often uh, initiated by a crisis or a challenge or a disappointment, or a loss, Uh, there's some tears, some pain at this stage, and you kind of wonder what's going on, because your faith isn't working quite like it did earlier on. God's just not as quick answering those prayers, and uh, He's not always showing up, as it were, as often as He did, and so this often leads to questions. Where is God? Why is this happening? Why did He allow this? Uh, We have doubts sometimes at this stage. And there's a whole sense of uncertainty that comes into our world. And it's normal to be at this particular place in our journey. If you ever been at the wall? You're feeling at, at the wall. There's nothing wrong with you. It's not because you have a lack of faith or God doesn't love you. It's a normal part of the journey. Now, last week, I left everyone at the wall. I'm really sorry about that. Someone over at Cheltenham this morning said, You left me at the wall. I've been at the wall all week. So I'm really sorry if, uh, you know, I kind of left you right there. Um, I'm glad they came back today because there's more to life than just hanging out at the wall. But when we're at the wall, we've got three options. We can deny there even is a wall. Just kind of keep chanting, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Hashtag Blessed. And I'm all into faith declarations, but we've got to watch we don't end up with a bit of a superficial faith that doesn't really grapple with the realities of life. So, so we don't want to deny that there even is a wall. The other thing, secondly, people can do at the wall is kind of defect on their faith. You know what, this whole God thing, if God allows bad things to happen to good people, I can't follow a God like that. And some people just kind of bail. They walk away. They're not interested in faith. And they kind of just away from their spiritual journey. Uh, The third thing which I want to encourage you to do is, at the wall, we can deepen our faith and we can surrender afresh to God. This takes courage and this sure takes trust, and so that's our next stage. On the other side of the wall, there's a fresh surrender, a surrender to a God who is in control when we feel out of control. A God that we can be certain of when life is very, very uncertain. This is a place of fresh surrender. It's not resignation. It's not fatalism, whatever it will be. There's an active surrender here that our lives are not subject to luck, fate, or chance. But there's a God who's actually at work in our world. Paul put it this way. If you've been around church, you've probably heard this one. Romans 8:28. And we know, everyone say no. Not we wish, not we hope, not we think. We know. There's something we can be certain of. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's a declaration of the sovereignty of God. We know something that God's causing everything to work together for an ultimate good. Now, it doesn't say all things are good. It doesn't say that. How many know a car crash is not good? Work with me today. (laughs) Sickness is not good. A a marriage breaking up is not good. It does not say all things are good. There's a lot of stuff in life that isn't good. It also doesn't say God causes all things. Interesting, on the old insurance insurance games, if there was a kind of a a storm, it was an act of God. (laughs) Like, we've got to blame somebody. It doesn't say God causes all things. There are other forces at work in the world. We make choices. People make choices. It doesn't say God causes all things. It also doesn't say everything works out the way you want it to. Wouldn't that be nice? Not every student gets straight A's. Anyone stressing over their ATAR score here today? No, no, not at all. School grades are important, but they definitely don't determine your life. Uh, Not every business makes a million dollars. Not every marriage lasts till death, us do part. Uh, Things don't always work out the way we'd hope that they would. But what it does say is that God causes all things, the good, the bad, the bitter, the sweet, the painful, the joyful, our successes and our failures and our mistakes, God causes all those things to work together for our ultimate good. That's a, that's a level of surrender when you're actually in the mix here. Um, you've all heard the, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. He, he started out with some dreams. He became aware of God. God gave him this dream for his life about how he's going to grow and contribute. And then he hit a wall. A 13-year Little spot at the wall, as his brothers through jealousy betrayed him, sold him into Egypt as a slave, and he was in prison for 13 long years. The book of Psalms told us that while he was in prison, God's word <laughs> tried him, tested him. How many think he had a few questions about those dreams? Maybe that was me. Maybe that was a pizza dream, <laughs> you know, or an anchovy or leeks and garlics, whatever they had in Egypt. I'm sure he had some doubts and questions. Was that really God? Thirteen long years at at the wall. And then, you know, in one day he was promoted. Number two in all of Egypt, next to the Pharaoh, there's a famine. Nations are coming to get grain from Egypt. And suddenly he's reunited with the very brothers that betrayed him. Talk about an emotion. And overcome with emotion, he said this in Genesis 50, verse 20. You meant it for evil. But God used it for good. Notice he didn't say, hey, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It's all right. Cool, guys. Nice to see you again. He didn't deny the pain of what had happened. He'd been betrayed. He'd been sold. You meant it for evil, but God actually used that to get me here. He had a purpose in what happened. I think July last year I shared a message here on Worry and I talked about some different ways to view the universe. And I think it's worth repeating. It's, it's a musical analogy. Uh, some people think the world is like a classical orchestra. Any people love classical music here today? One, two, three, four, five... A few of you like classical music. In classical music, I did my eighth grade piano, so I know uh, classical music. In a classical orchestra, everything's being pre-written, pre-planned, predetermined. And if you're a musician in the orchestra, you're already told what to play, the key signature, the time, the phrasing, the tempo, the volume, it's all there. You don't have any free will or choice. You're simply playing out a role that the composer has created for you. Some people think the world is like a classical orchestra. We don't have free will. We don't have choice. God has already decided everything that's going to happen. We're just living out a predetermined part. It's called determinism. Some people think that's how the world runs. Uh, determinism. It's all, you, it's all just going to happen the way God wants it to happen. Well, some people react against this view, think it's a bit controlling, and they come way over here and they say, you know what, uh, the world's more like a jam session. Anyone know what a jam session is? In a jam session, there's no plan. There's no order. There's no key signature. No one's in control. You get a bunch of musicians together, and it's just make a joyful noise. So the guitarist is cranking at the sax players, riffing away. The keyboard's going with the drummer. It's a cacophony of sound and activity and freedom and do your own thing. Some people think the world's like a jam session. There's no plan. There's no order. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. So make your own if it feels good, do it. Anyone heard that? This is called existentialism. (laughs) Just follow your feelings, whatever feels good. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no God. Just kind of make life the best you can. That's another view of the world. There's a in-between view that's not classical and it's not jam, it's called jazz. Anyone like jazz? Come on. Yes, jazz. In jazz, you've got this unique thing happening. There's a chord sequence, there's a rhythm that undergirds the music, but on top of that, there's something called improvisation. One musician plays something, the other one listens and responds, and so you've got this interaction, this interplay. Sometimes there's dissonance, sometimes there's discord, and then it resolves, and then it kind of conflicts again. And so you've got all of this stuff happening, but underneath it, the music's moving somewhere. I'd like to suggest to you the world's a bit more like a jazz band than a classical orchestra or a jam session. See, you and I make choices. Other people make choices. Sometimes we make mistakes. There's discord. There's conflict. There's dissonance. We have free will. We have choice. But underneath everything, the hand of God is at work in your story, my story, and his story. This view is called providence. Providence. And so at this level of faith, this level of surrender is a lot different than back when you first meet and become aware of God. Here's a surrender to the providence of God, that God is at work in our world. Um, I like cooking. My wife's a great cook. Uh, She doesn't read recipes. She just throws stuff in the pot and it comes out amazing. She can never repeat it, but it's amazing. (laughs) I follow the recipe book. Like, I get the ingredients. I follow the instructions exactly. I'll do it a few times, and then I might improvise a bit. Uh, One of my great recipes is a Thai green curry. Anyone like Thai food? Ooh, we're getting ready for lunch now. You know, I was making the Thai green curry one day, and I was just thinking about the ingredients. There's some ingredients in the recipe you would not want by themselves. Anyone ever had just a cup of fish sauce? Just kind of... Cheers. Anyone had a tablespoon of chili flakes before? Yes, there's always one in every crowd. Bless you. Bless you. My my wife likes it hot too. But normally speaking, most people don't want a tablespoon of chili flakes. What am I saying? There's some ingredients that by themselves, they are unpleasant. They, They don't taste good. But isn't it amazing when you mix it all together, this phenomenal flavor comes out? I wonder if we took the microphone today and went around the room and said, have you ever had something painful happen to you? How many know lunch is going to be a long time away? Because there's not one person in this room that hasn't been through an experience that you go, that really hurt. I don't want that to happen again. That was unpleasant. It was not good. But isn't it incredible how God can take all the experiences of our life, the joys, the pains, the good days, the bad days, and make something beautiful of our life? Sometimes your pain can be part of your purpose. Sometimes the mess you've been through or in can be part of your message. Nothing is wasted in life. And so this is a deeper level of faith where we surrender to God. The next stage I want to call paradox. Paradox is where we accept the ambiguity of life with a certainty in God. Here's here's an interesting statement. Life is not fair, but God is good. How many know that's a paradox? (laughs) Like, how can you say that? Life isn't fair, but God is good. Uh, some people say God isn't fair. No, no, life isn't fair, but God is good. That, that's a paradox that we have to hold in tension. See, we live between the now and the not yet. Theologically, if you've been to Bible college, you'll learn about the now and the not yet. How many know now Jesus has paid the price for sin on the cross? Sin has already been paid the price for. How many know not yet has sin left the world? Or your life or my life? Uh, How many know now on the cross Jesus took our sicknesses and diseases? Amen. How many know not yet has sickness left the world? Uh, How many know now Jesus conquered Satan on the cross? He defeated the devil. How many know the devil's not yet bound in that lake of fire? How many know on the cross Jesus conquered death? But... Thank you for that. One yes. Jesus conquered death on the cross, but how many know not yet is the last enemy yet to be destroyed, death? We live in this tension between the now and the not yet between provisional truth, God's provided all this for us, and the actual experiential fulfillment of what Jesus did on the cross. The second coming will fulfill all that Jesus began at the first coming. So you and I live in this liminal space of now and not yet. It's a paradox. It's a bit like a trapeze. Anyone ever been on a trapeze? I haven't, but I watch people. You let go, you let go of one trapeze and you haven't quite grabbed the other. That's liminality. And you're just thankful there's a net underneath There's a God underneath. This is the Christian life. If you don't get this, you'll stay at a pretty superficial level of faith. See, where we're going deeper now. Surrender. Paradox. Now but not yet. This is, this is where we live. Let me give you an example of this. The Apostle Paul probably had more revelation about God than anyone other than Jesus, who was God. Um, I mean, we're told that he went to the third heaven. I I haven't even been to the first heaven myself. He's up in the third heaven, and he's seeing things too wonderful to even talk about, he tells in in one of his letters to Corinth. So, So this guy's seen a lot. He wrote most of the New Testament. So you talk about revelation, knowledge, insight. Listen what he says in 1 Corinthians 13 the great love chapter, he says this, New Living Translation, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now, everyone say now. Now "Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, everyone say then. Then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now, everyone say "now." now. All I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, everyone say then. I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. This is the guy who knows more than everybody. He says, you know, right now, my knowledge is partial and incomplete. But one day, my knowledge will be complete. Paul's actually saying, you know what, as much revelation as I have, I don't know it all. I don't have all the answers. And he was okay with that. What incredible humility for someone with so much revelation to say, you know what, there's a paradox to this life. I don't actually have all the answers. (laughs) May Paul's tribe increase. Because as I look at the church around the world, we've got a lot of people who think they know it all. You ever met any of those? Some of them blog about all they know. (laughs) Did you know in the world today there are 39,000 Christian denominations not not churches, entire denominations. And every one of them have a statement of faith that defines the way things really are. And how many know each of those denominations believe they're right? Come on, work with me. Some of them are not only believing they're right, they believe everyone else is wrong and they're telling everyone who's wrong and pronouncing the heretics amongst us. Now, now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying truth isn't important. But truth ultimately is in a person, Jesus. And when it comes to everything else, you know what? If Paul said, I actually don't know it all, how many think we should have enough humility to go, we don't have all the answers. And if anyone thinks they have all the answers, that's absolute arrogance. We need to have an open heart, an open mind that says, tell me how you see it. Where are you coming from? There's a paradox. There's a mystery to this thing called faith. A mystery where we don't know all the answers. Even Job, who spent many long months at the wall, at the end, he never had an answer to the question why. Ever ever read the book of Job? You get to the end, he had an amazing experience of God, but he never found out why. There's a mystery. There's a paradox to this life And there's a a deep faith when we can actually accept that and be joyful and okay about it. There's certain things we may never get an answer to in this life, but one day we'll see everything clearly. We'll go, oh, aha, that's what you were doing. We may not have that in this life, but we will have that. The mystery, everything in life is not black and white. There's a wonderful rainbow of colors in this God-inhabited universe. God doesn't fit in our boxes. Have you noticed that? We create boxes, propositions about God. He doesn't kind of fit in them. Even Jesus himself. You know, Jesus never healed anyone the same way. You know why? Because God doesn't want us to have formulas where we think if we do A, B, C, D, E, God will always do. God doesn't operate by our formulas. He exists outside our boxes, our propositions. He's bigger than anything we can actually describe or frame. There's a mystery to God. Next stage, I'm going to call love. As we come on the other side of that wall, as we surrender to God, as we go, you know, there's a paradox, there's a mystery to life, and, I, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with some loose ends. I'm okay with some uncertainty. Then we come to a life of love. Paul elevated love above everything, above the gift of prophecy, above miracles, above knowledge. Love, how we treat one another, is more important than all of these other pursuits, loving others genuinely and deeply out of a revelation of God's love for us, we die to ego, we die to self, and we realize life is not about me. (laughs) You know, every year they add a new word to the dictionary, the English dictionary. You know what the the word for 2013 was? Selfie. Because we're a generation obsessed with ourselves. (laughs) Uh, Selfie. You know, a life of love is about realizing it, it's not about me, it's about others. Living for God, living for others. I, I had an embarrassing um, moment. Ever had an embarrassing moment? Uh, I'm going to share one of mine with you now. You're very privileged. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I was speaking at a conference in Sweden. And Nicole was with me, and on the way back, we had a stop in Beijing, And I just checked our schedule, and we actually had a layover for 24 hours, which is kind of a long time to hang out in an airport. Uh, I'd been to Beijing twice before doing some ministry. Nicole had never been there. I said, hey, look, we've got 24 hours. Why don't we leave the airport? We'll do some sightseeing. We'll go see the Forbidden City, Tiananmen Square, and the Great Wall. And so we agreed to do that. Anyway, so we got to... China, uh, Beijing. I'd arranged a driver and a tour guide, and we we're going to visit these three places in this. This city has 20 million people. Just a little preemptor, like all of Australia, kind of in one space. There's a, there's a lot of Chinese there, uh, and so and a lot of tourists. Anyway, so we stopped. I hadn't checked the weather. It was 36 degrees that day. Um, So anyway, we got out, got into our car, and off we went with our tour guide. It was stinking hot. We got to Tiananmen Square, which is this huge, amazing square, so much history. The place was packed. And, uh, you know, the average person's about this tall, and I'm kind of a little taller than the average person. Uh, In China, what they do when it's a really hot day so they don't get sunburned, they all use umbrellas. So Tiananmen Square was a sea of black umbrellas, and everywhere I went, Someone was poking me in the chin because I'm kind of above the umbrellas. So, so anyway, we're, we're off to an okay start, you know. Uh, anyway, so we did Tiananmen Square. We went, went to the Forbidden City, which really you could spend days there. It's dozens of acres of buildings. And so we did a pretty quick tour through there and uh, gra- grab a little bit of lunch and, and some water. And then the Great Wall is outside of Beijing. And so we we're pushing for time. So we got in the car with our driver tour guide, headed out of the city to the Great Wall. Anyone been to the Great Wall of China? Anyone here been to the Great Wall? Yes, you have. Emma, a couple of people at the back, they can affirm my story today. So you get out there, there's this huge car park where all the buses and the cars uh, land, and then you've got to make your way up to the Great Wall. Thankfully, there's a chair lift on the way up, which kind of gets you to the bottom of the wall. Anyone walk the thousand steps uh, over in Dandenong's? I think there's only 800 and something steps, someone told me. This is the million steps, okay? Like, like, like the, the Great Wall is unbelievable. There's all these towers and hundreds and hundreds of steps between them. So, you know, it's hot. We've already done Tiananmen Square. We've already done the Forbidden City, and now we're climbing, you know, so we're taking photos, and uh, we, we eventually get right up to the second tower, Nicole said, I'm done, I'm done. I can see the top tower from here. I said, I'm going up there. So anyway, I managed to push through the fatigue and the, and the heat and get to the top tower. And right at the top, I actually had my iPhone, and I did a 360-degree panorama right from the top tower. Anyway, we are rushing for time, so came back down, met Nicole. On the way down, there are toboggans to get you down. Thank God for the Germans. Um, And instead of the chairlift, you get in this toboggan with a brake, and you zoom, zoom, way down. It's good fun. Anyone? We we had a tour. Sign up today. Uh, So toboggan all the way down, and then you get back to the car park. And so uh, we, we we got there, and we jumped in the car. Time's really tight, so we're now going back to the airport. We did it. Tiananmen Square, Forbidden City, Great Wall. Uh, so the driver's there, tour guide, Nicola in the back seat. And she starts showing me some of her photos, you know? Oh, fantastic, that's amazing, that's awesome. I said, hey, I took a video. And so I was pretty excited to show Nicole this video. Now just before I show you this video, I need to let you know I'm pretty good with the phone. But like, like humbly, I'm pretty good with the phone. In fact, a few years earlier we went to Turkey And uh, although I'm afraid of heights, they did some hot air ballooning one morning, and uh, I went in this hot air balloon. It was a 23-seat basket, and I was right in the middle because I get a little scared of heights. But we went up a kilometer in the air, and uh, I took a panorama of that morning's experience, and I sent it into a Mac magazine. i got second place. I'll I'll put it up for you now. Here it is. This is the photo I took from the balloon. A hundred balloons went up that morning. We saw the sunrise, and I took this panorama, sent it in, got second place. So anyway, as, I, as I'm saying, I'm pretty good with the phone. Anyway, we're in the car. We're on our way back to the airport. Nicole showed me her photos. They're okay. Uh, <laughs> and then I said, honey, I took this video. You've got to see this video. And I pressed play, and here's my video of the Great Wall. Here it is right now. Thanks, team. Coming up, bit of sound if we've got it. Now, now we're going to watch, I'm going to let you watch that one more time. We'll get a little bit of sound if we can. I want you to watch the concentration, the confidence, and then the satisfaction at the end. One more time. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> now. What's happening? It was so, thank you for those three claps. Uh, It was so sunny, with the glare of my phone, I didn't realize I'd taken a selfie. Uh, Here I am in the back seat of the car. I can't go back now. I can't go back. I've just been to one of the great wonders of the world, and all I have to show for it is a selfie of my unshaven, sunburnt, sweaty, ugly face. Can you imagine how embarrassed I was as Nicole and I are there just laughing our head up, off? I, 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 it was, we didn't have time to go back. What, what, what's the message? What, what, what's the point? One day when your life is over and you look back, hopefully it wasn't one big selfie. Come on. Come on. You get one shot at life. One shot. You can't go back up and say, let's redo that again. You get one shot at life. Turn the camera around. It's not about you. It's about others. It's about others. It's about giving your life and actually gaining it. A life of love. So, onto our map. As we wrap this up together. Map of the spiritual journey. There's a mystery to this, you know. Uh, Although it's a circle, it's not sequential. You can jump around. (laughs) You can be here and then there. Sometimes you feel like you're in two stages at once. Sometimes you're not sure what stage you're in. There's jumps. There's twists. Uh, The key thing, no stage is better than the other. Did you notice God's at the center? (laughs) And God is present and active in every stage of our journey. God is present and active in every stage of our journey. And the goal is not to walk through the stages or to manipulate your growth or your journey, but to say, God, where are you right now? And I want to love you and get to know you more. And you know, when you get to the stage of love, you'll have other times of more awareness of God. You'll grow more. You'll contribute. You might visit the wall again. You might have to surrender to a new level. You might have to embrace paradox again and go, you know what, I just don't really know why. You may have to be reminded, uh, it's not a selfie. You know, we just keep going higher and further on our journey of love. And so, as we wrap this up, I, I wonder which stage you're in right now. I wonder, as you look back on your life, what stages do you identify? What about the people around you? It's possible they're in a different stage. How can you support and encourage them in the stage that they're in? You know, entire communities can go through a stage together. A whole community can become aware of God, a visitation of God. Sometimes a whole community can go through grief and mourning. In fact, did you know that the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which we all know, is taken from the book of Lamentations, written by the prophet Jeremiah, during one of the darkest moments of Israel's history. Jerusalem, God's city, has been burned to the ground by the Babylonians. Talk about a wall and the entire community is at the wall. Let's read what he had to say. Lamentations 3 19 to 24, New Living Translation. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. How many can see there's no denial here? Here's someone saying, man. There's been grief, there's been loss. I'll never forget this time. This scripture was very meaningful when our family went through that horrible couple of uh, incidences with Nicole's mom dying, our kids having that serious car accident. I I read this every day. I'll never forget this awful time. Uh, Yet I still dare to hope. These are amazing words. This is at the wall. This is looking at a destroyed city. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. God's actually here at this stage. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies are begin afresh every morning. I say to myself. How many know you have going to talk to yourself? In fact, we all talk to ourselves. The question is, what are you saying to yourself? What are you saying to yourself? I will say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. I'm at the wall. I'm not denying this is a tough time and I don't have all the answers. But I'm saying to myself, there's life beyond the wall. I will hope it. A whole community can actually go through these experiences of faith. You know, you know it's interesting, just back to our diagram there, team. Uh, a lot of churches only focus on the first three stages. Come to Jesus, get in a small group, volunteer. That's all you ever hear. One of the things I love about Bayside is the embracing of the full spiritual journey. The mystery, the paradox, the the times of suffering and questions. I love that about Bayside, where we can all grow together and support one another wherever we are on our spiritual journey. I want to close with a Celtic prayer attributed to St. Patrick. Christ be with us. Christ within us. Christ behind us. Christ before us. Christ beside us. Christ to win us. Christ to comfort and restore us. Christ beneath us, Christ above us. Christ in quiet, Christ in danger. Christ in hearts of all that love us. Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. Christ with us. Let's pray.